All right, good morning, everybody. Please turn your Bibles to Job chapters 4 and 5. That's where we'll be this morning, maybe 6. And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for getting us together here and bringing us through this week and for healing many. And we pray for those that are still recovering and still sick and still going through many of the things that we're reading about here in, in some way, shape, or form, Lord, we, we just lift them up to you, and we pray for their encouragement um, throughout this trial that they're going through, but also that they come through and persevere, and um, they'd be blessed on the other side of this. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple things. We're going to have a potluck that I got reminded of last night at 1 a.m., and so I came in early and Got some ham. So you're having ham. I was trying to figure out, what, how do I feed 200 people at the last minute? I didn't make any food at 1 a.m. So you're having ham. And if you don't like ham, we can always order Casey's Pizza. There's always something good. So that's after second service. We'll have our potluck. You're welcome to come back for that and enjoy. Um, tomorrow night uh, at 7 o'clock, doing a question and answer time, or just a time where it's very informal. If anybody has questions about things that they've been coming up or have been coming up in their own quiet times or in their own study time. Um, I'll be available to answer any questions here if you need any. Um, I just, I think I explained this on Wednesday night, but I'll, I'll do it again. It's just, I, I grew up uh, in the Lord um, traveling to different Bible studies in Nebraska City or in Clorinda with my pastor and was kind of his support guide, carry his podium, and, you know, get everything ready for him and everything so he could just focus on teaching and all that. But in that in that preparation time, I would have an hour and a half in the car there, an hour and a half in the car back. And so I had these great times where I could just ask him, drive him crazy and ask him questions all the way there and back, you know? And, uh, and I got, I, we don't have that. We don't go to other, other cities yet anyway, and, and don't have those opportunities. So I thought I'd just do that. So from seven to whenever we get done, um, I'll be here and, and uh, we can just sit and talk about certain things. Now it's not a debate time just so I, Probably don't, doesn't need to be said, but it is true. If you have an honest question that you need answered about something you came up in Scripture or where does this line up or how does this fall together, I'll do my best um, to answer those. Um, then also on Thursday night, this Thursday, we'll be starting a Bible study on Revelation, the book of Revelation. Um, and that's because uh, we notice there's a lot of questions about it as we see it unfolding in front of our eyes on the news every day, um, parts of it anyway. And, um, and Jenny and I are encouraged by it because we know that these things must take place. And it's exciting because it means the Lord's return is very near and um, fun stuff for us. I mean, horrible to go through, but hey, you know, closer is closer. That's how I see it. And a lot of people don't have that hope or they don't understand or they think there's a lot of fear about the great tribulation and all. And so um, we're going to go ahead and do, a, I'm going to do my best to do a pretty comprehensive study on it, not just a quick run through. We'll be bringing in Ezekiel and prophecies and, and, and all these things. And so we may be a little slow going through it, but I, I definitely want it out there. So Thursday at 7 o'clock, um, there's been a lot of requests for it to be um, streamed live. And it's not as easy as it sounds just to, oh, yeah, we'll just stream it. it there's a lot that goes on for that to take place. And so we've got um, some people that are interested in maybe helping out and are going to try to get trained up to do it. Uh, we can't ask these guys to keep coming every single night of the week, you know, and doing that stuff. So we're hoping it'll be streamed, but it may not be. So anyway, that's coming up this Thursday. All right, Job uh, chapter four. Uh, his buddies decide, Job's buddies decide to chime in and give some advice to him. He's covered in boils. He's lost his entire family except for his wife. They're, they're all dead. He's lost all of his income. He's lost all of his savings. He's lost everything, basically except his life. From the first three chapters, we understood that this is a, uh, a thing that's going on between God and Satan. Um, God is going to be glorified in this. God is saying to Satan, no, they don't follow me, they don't love me because of what I give them, or, or because I bless them, they love me because of who I am. And Satan says, you take that stuff away from them, and they're going to curse you to your face. He says, I don't think they will. And so he volunteers Job. Says he's a good guy to, to pick. He goes, well, I would, but there's a hedge of protection around him, and I can't touch him, Satan says. And, and God says, I'll take that hedge away. Go ahead. And he did. And it didn't work. He took away all of his stuff um, and, his, and his family. Uh, and then so Satan says, well, that didn't work, but let me touch him. Let me touch Job personally with boils and sickness and all that. 
And God says, you can go ahead, but he's not going to curse me. So we're at that point now. Um, but those are the two first uh, waves of attacks against Job, um, his stuff, his family, his health. But I believe what we're reading here in chapter 4 and on uh, is part of a third wave of attacks. Um, I don't think that the friends mean to be used by Satan or mean to be used against God. It depends on how you look at it. Um, but they are. Job is struggling right now, and this is important to, I think, say. He's groping to find a reason for all of this. Why is this happening to me? You know, um, you know, retracing your steps in your life. What did I do wrong? How did I step out of... No, I know that's not true. You know, you're trying to pull those thoughts captive. I know that that's not what God's like, and, but maybe. And, and so he's working all this stuff out, and his friends have been sitting beside him for seven days quietly... And that's good as he's working these things out. But last week, Job opened his mouth and kind of shared a little from his heart. I feel really, really bad inside. You know, that's to put it mildly. As he went poetically through chapter three of it's like the darkest of darkest, dark, dark. And I'd rather be not alive. And I wish I was never born. And he goes through all these real feelings, you know, that many people go through. And that's why this book was written. And I think that's important to understand. Um, these books aren't written for us to study as a great literary work, as some people do. They take the book of Job in college, and they, and they study it as a great literary work. And although it is, I guess, that's not why God put it in the Scriptures for us. He put it in there because these things can happen to us, and we need to watch somebody go through this and get a you know, get a thousand-yard view of what's taking place. Just look at the forest. We get this forest view. Most of the people in the story, Job doesn't know the conversation that's taking place in heaven between Satan and God. The friends definitely don't know what's going on or what's going on in Job's heart. They're just making wild accusations and guesses. But we as the readers get to see this beautiful view of how it all goes down, and it gives us a better perspective, which is why we're doing the Revelation study also, to step back and say, oh, 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 it's not about my comfort. It's not about the sorrows or the trials that I'm going through. There's something happening here. There's, some, there's a much bigger plan, a much bigger purpose going on. And it, it doesn't make the boils sting any less. It doesn't make the loss of life in your, in your, in your own uh, walk any easier from all your family members. But it does help to know that God knew. That's one of the things Jesus says in the New Testament several times to his disciples. I'm telling you this so that you know I know. It's the weirdest phrase, really. I'm just telling you this. There is nothing you can do to stop this, nor should you want to stop this cross from taking place. But I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you know that I know. And that's to bring them comfort. It was horrific to see him on the cross, horrific to see him die, horrific to see him in the tomb. Even in, in, in some ways... Kind of scary that he went up back up into heaven with, where are you going? You know, can we come with you? Or, no, no, no you got to stay. There's a lot going on there in their emotions. But he said all these things so that you know that I know. And that brings comfort to us. It's not, uh, it, it, none of the things that happen to us surprise God. It isn't a shock to him. He doesn't like, oh boy, I should have been watching them more carefully. Satan really got a hold of them. You know, no, it's all within, you know. Is purview. So as we go through this, you can listen to these friends do their best to make wild guesses. Now, some of their advice is horrible. Some of their assessment of the situation is way off base, but some of the stuff is right. And I think we'll recognize it. It's right when it lines up with scripture. It's wrong when it doesn't. And that's a great way to judge. So verse one, Eliphaz, the Temnite answered, he's answering Job and says, Breaks his silence. If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? So what he's saying, obviously, is, you know, you've been our teacher for years, and he is very wise and 
a man of God and, and all. You've been telling us these things. When we go through trials, you've been telling us what to do, how to react, what, you know, some of the things you can do to cope, maybe. And now we see it happening to you, and you're all weary, and you're stumbling, and you're troubled, and you have feeble knees. You're not, a, you know, you're not taking your own medicine, Job, is the idea, is what he's saying. And I don't know what Job ever said to them. We don't have that information. We don't know if he really did that or if that's how it was understood. I know from experience as a, as a pastor who's tried to help many, many people through difficult times in their life. Sometimes it's received, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I had really accurate words, sometimes I was off base. It's just how it is. I do my best, you know. Um, but at no time, I hope, that I ever come across as saying that you better buck up, you know, and handle it better. If not, watch me, because I'll handle it great when it comes to me. I, that's not the point of helping someone through trials. It's, I'm going to help you right now, because I'm not stupid enough to think that it can't happen to me. And when it has happened to me, I hope you come along right alongside me and give me the same Advice, grace, and mercy that I've given you. And I think that's key, grace and mercy. And so whatever he said to them, my guess is it was accurate and biblical and true. I don't think he was a health and wealth, a prosperity doctrine teacher back in the day who says, you know, if bad things happen to you, that's because you're bad. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And if you had more faith or if you walked better, you would have a better life. So you better search your heart and figure out what's going wrong or what you're not doing right. Find out what formula you're missing in your walk with God. My guess is that's not what he taught. But that might have been how it was heard. Some people resent the fact that you're not going through what they're going through when they're going through it. Nothing you do about that. Some people are almost happy when you're going through what they went through. And that's a serious problem in their heart. Very serious. When they look upon your struggles or your difficulties and they see the trials that you're going through and they kind of smirk and say, good, good, it's about time they had some of what I've been getting. Ooh, that's a terrible place to be. That's where this guy is right now. He's going to say it. He's going to pretty much say it here in this chapter. And so that's where this guy's heart comes. He's almost happy. You know, your reverence, isn't that your confidence, your integrity? Isn't that your hope? Look at you now, Job. These are his friends, <laughs> you know. These are the three closest guys that actually took it upon themselves to pack up and travel to where he was to come alongside of him in his time of trouble to sit down with him, and this is their encouragement. Good. Verse 7, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? You ever find that, Job? Innocent people don't struggle. Skilty people do. That's how God works. Pain, the absence of pain. That's how he teaches us. That's this guy's opinion. And we all feel a little off about that because we know that's not true. And we have a lot of other stories to go off of. First of all, we have Job. We know that that's not what's happening here. We have a great perspective. He doesn't. Granted, this friend doesn't know that there's a conversation and that God's letting these things happen and all that. He doesn't know that. So he's taking guesses, but I think that's where we get into trouble is when we begin to guess at what's going on. And he's guessing. But we have stories over and over. We have Daniel, who's in the lion's den, and he did great. Thank God. And God protected him. And then we have Peter, who was crucified upside down. That didn't go so great. You know? And then you got Jesus. It went great, but it didn't go great. You know what I mean? And you can't get more righteous than that, and yet... It was purposed for him to die on the cross at God's hand, actually. And so we have stories throughout Scripture of different men and women who were either blessed or we call it a blessing, you know. They were upright, and yet they didn't do so well. Or they were, they were terrible. I mean, think of Samson. Now, there's a guy that probably should have had things not work out so well. I mean, they didn't in a, in a way towards the end. But, boy, he had a lot of strength. He was able to do a lot of stuff. He was able to be victorious and never giving glory to God at all, always taking it upon himself and, 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 and kind of living a sinful life his whole life. And yet, we would say maybe a charmed life. You know, wow. I mean, how does he get by with all this stuff? Fighting lions and, and tearing them apart and, you know, marrying women he shouldn't be marrying and going against Scripture and going against God. And, and yet, look at him. 
You know, it's confusing. God's doing something, something much bigger. Now, at the end of his life, it all kind of came around, but we have stories like that. This guy doesn't have maybe these stories. He does have Cain and Abel. We know that. Everybody knows the story of Cain and Abel. That happened before Job. Cain was innocent, or Abel was innocent, and he died. He was killed. It happens that way. And we need to settle that in our hearts and understand that. He's going to give good advice here in a minute. We'll get to it. Verse 8, even as I have seen, and that's the problem he's doing from his perspective, those who plow iniquity sow trouble and reap the same. By the blast of God, they perish. By the breath of his anger, they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. I mean, they're very dramatic, obviously. I mean, but Job gets dramatic too. They just, I guess it's because it's poetry. They, they're dramatic. There I was, you know. And here's what this voice said to him. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more are those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom, end quote. That's what this spirit came to tell his friend. I don't know what to make of it, really. Did he really hear? Let's just assume for, for a moment that he did. Was it from God? Or was it a bitter demon, you know? It says, you think you're going to get by? You think you're going to be more righteous? He accused the angels. That there's something there. You know, when you bring up something like that, he even, he even punished his angels. Like maybe I'm one, like he's one of them, you know, kind of thing. We don't know. He follows up with, after I heard that from this spirit who came before me, my advice to you in verse 1 of chapter 5, call out now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. And now this guy goes, obviously, way too far. He begins to bring up, in a sideways kind of way, what's happened to Job. This, this straw man, he's using a straw man theory. You know, I've, I've, seen, the, I've seen these... Uh, the foolish man get killed by wrath. I've seen the simple ones, you know, be slain and, and, and foolish. I, I know this guy, these people like this, you know, straw man argument. This straw man, his sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. Really? You're going to bring up crushed sons to Job right now? After the whole house fell upon his entire family and crushed them? You can see where he's headed with this. Because the hungry, now he's going to go to his stuff, his crops that got taken by those bandits. Because the hungry eat up his harvest, taking it even from the thorns, and the snare snatches their substance. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring up from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. This stuff doesn't come from nowhere, Job. This stuff doesn't just come up from the dust. It doesn't just spring up, Job. That's his, this is his advice. His idea is, have you cried out to God yet? Have you talked to the Lord about what's going on here? Have you even confessed your sins before him? Because this stuff doesn't just happen. I mean, you know, people's families don't just get crushed by houses because. Now, he doesn't mean to be that person piling on, but that's what's happening. He's piling on. I don't know that he knows that he probably thinks he's helpful. Look, you need to get right with God as soon as possible. 
so this all stops or gets rectified because otherwise, I don't know when this is going to ever end. I mean, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Or he's taking this opportunity to finally say everything he's ever wanted to say to Job because he's resented him. He's resented his wealth. He's resented his family. He's resented everything about his walk with God. And he looks at his own life and sees how he's always getting advice from Job. And now it's my turn to give Job some advice. We have to guard our hearts. Be very careful. I mean, this is the speck in the plank story. Maybe in reverse. Job hopefully wasn't or didn't have that tone with them when he shared his advice to them, when he tried to teach them about the ways of the Lord. Hopefully he didn't. So that it came across and was received with bitterness. But when you're going to come counsel somebody or give somebody advice or try to help them through a tough time, make sure that you understand what's happening and draw from your own experience first. That, it, it reminds you of the pain of someone taking the plank out of your eye, how bad that hurt, how difficult that was, that trial, that struggle, that thing you went through. And then when you come up to the next person who has a speck, which is Job's far more than a speck, you're, but let's say, for example, that it is, you're very careful about how you touch their eye because you remember how bad it hurt you. You're very understanding. I want to help you with this, but I want to make sure that I don't do any harm in the process of doing this. It's very important when we're counseling or giving advice or leading people in Scripture or anything to make sure that you've first truly prayed about it, sought the Lord, sought Scripture, and not just stuff that comes off the top of your head. That's a, that's a bad place to be. When you just start spouting off things off the top of your head, um, Advice that's not biblical, that's not scriptural, that doesn't have any base or sound footing, you know. It's a dangerous place to be. You get into trouble quickly. And I think that's where this guy is. This Eliphaz is, is speaking out of his own head here, not out of God's heart. And so that's why he's able to so freely bring up his sons being crushed and all of his stuff being taken no matter what. Remember all those precautions you told me? Remember how you planted all those thorns around your crops? Because it kind of was like a hedge. It kind of kept people away from sealing your crops. They had to go through the thorns first. Well, that didn't stop them, did it? That didn't work. Look where you are. It took all your stuff. Remember you told me to do that to my farm? I don't know what it is about this guy, but he's just bitter about something. And that's how it comes across. Now, he's going to stumble on some truth here in a minute. <sighs> For affliction does not come up from the dust, nor does trouble spring up from the ground, yet man is born to trouble and as the sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water in the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safe, safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning come quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime. They grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, from their hand. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Those are all biblical things. I think we can all probably have scriptures come to our mind as we're reading through that. Yeah, that's true. That's in Psalms, that's in Proverbs, that's in some. And even as those scriptures come to mind and we know what he's saying is true, I can also think of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus died. Now, his end was better. I mean, he, he was on the right side of Hades. He ended up in Abraham's bosom, whereas the rich man was in the hot side. But he still died. And from an earthly perspective, God didn't. Feed the hungry. He didn't take care of the needy. He, he died. Sometimes the blind got their sight. Sometimes the lepers were healed. Sometimes they weren't. You know? Sometimes we have friends and family that all of a sudden just get a, they get a clean bill of health after they knew they had cancer. They knew that things were going south. You know, they had, 
They had test results that showed it. They had MRIs that actually, you could see it. The next one they got, it's all gone. And so you hear stories like that, and you're like, well, great, I'm going to pray for that too. Yeah, make my tumor go away like that guy, and yours doesn't go away. We don't know why these things happen to different people, but I think that's important to say that out loud. I don't know why some have clean MRI bills or gets completely healed, and some don't. I don't know why Lazarus had to die and not get the food he needed and get the medical care that he needed. I don't know why that took place. I know that I read a story about it, though, and I learn a lot about Hades. I learn a lot about righteousness is not in appearance. It's in the heart. We learn a lot from these stories. We learn a lot about Job. I don't know why this is all happening to him, and neither do they. But I think the advice is correct. The very first verse here, verse 8, but as for me, I would seek God and I would commit my cause and leave it in his lap. I think that's really important. Um. Long life, um, your kids burying you, and new, not you burying your kids. Um, there's a lot of things that are preferable, you know. Um, <laughs> definitely preferable, I know. But I look around, and preferable doesn't always happen to believers. It just doesn't. And as a pastor, I'm not here to take away hope, but I am trying to give perspective as we go through this. There's a reason he writes Job. Why are we being attacked right now? Why are so many people sick? Why are so many bad things happening? What is going on in this world? Why is our country falling apart? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why is this happening in my life? Why can't I get a hold of this thing? Why do I keep whatever? Okay, questions to ask and need to be asked. And I come alongside you and say, I don't know either. I do know this, this verse 8, let's commit it to God. Because I don't know if he's going to use this, and you're not going to survive this illness, but he's going to use it to bring him glory in another way? Or I don't know if he's going to heal you and you're going to survive this illness, and he's going to use it to glorify him that way. But either way, as a believer, I'm called to glorify him. And Paul says that, either in death or in life, I glorify the Lord. And to commit yourself to that kind of servanthood, to commit yourself to eternity, really, really helps with the temporal right now. Our governments, I know. I mean, I know. It doesn't matter which. I'm, I'm on a specific side. You probably know which side I'm on. I don't hide it. Yeah, okay. But I watch my side come out sometimes and do press conference, and it just makes me cringe as I watch them. And then, of course, I realize my king who's sovereign over the universe, is really the country that I belong to. That's really where my citizenship is. And although I still fight for liberty and for justice and for truth, and I always will, whether it's that side or my side, I will always fight for those things because that's the mandate that God's given me to do. And if this is the, the, the circle in which or the the form of government in which I'm supposed to do that, then that's how I'm going to do it. But I do that because I am a child of the Most High God. I'm, a, I'm his son. I, I stand to inherit the universe with him, and so do you as believers. He says so. You're princes and princesses in his kingdom, and we stand to inherit. So I act like that, and I know his rules. I know his character that's what I fight for. And when my side lines up, we line up. When my side doesn't line up, then we don't line up and we've got a problem, you know? And so we do that and we live that way. But when I have that eternity, that perspective, I realize, you know, we've only been around a couple hundred years. China's been around like a long time. Israel's been around a long time. You know, these Things just kind of, the, the lines on the world, the, the globe you buy today is obsolete almost. It's like, wait, where's Uganistan, you know, or whatever? <laughs> where's Tribakala? Or I, I make these, the lines just move depending. And you realize, yeah, but from God's perspective, and I think that's one of those neat things, you look at it, and you're like, oh, yeah. That's like, isn't that funny? They're drawing lines all over my world. You know, <laughs> I'll move them. 
I'm gonna make I'm gonna make their map sales well increase, I guess, because you gotta buy the updated model. To God, it's it's not humorous, but it is. He says at times, when you guys try to do these things, I almost laugh in derision. He says, I laugh in derision. God laughs in derision at us sometimes when we think we have that kind of control. So that earthly um, perspective doesn't help us. But that heavenly perspective, that eternal perspective, does help us greatly deal with this that we're living in. You know? And so it is good advice, that verse 8. You can circle it. You can take it home. You can take it because it's throughout Scripture. I would seek God and I would commit it to God and let him have it. Either way, whatever the results. Verse 17, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chasing of the Almighty. I mean, my goodness, that's the New Testament scripture right there, isn't it? Peter says that, I think. I could be wrong. Somebody really important in the New Testament said that. It's good when God corrects you. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. No one thinks it's pleasant for the time being, Peter says, but... Um, but afterwards, you have that peaceable fruit of righteousness. It, it, it produces a patience as a peaceable fruit of righteousness. But dealing with it and letting God deal with you brings about correction, and it shows you that He's your, that you're His son or your daughter. It's a good thing. So He's right there too. Job, if you are being, He doesn't say if, but if you're being corrected, it's a good thing. For He bruises and He binds up, He wounds, but His hands make whole. In other words, what he's doing to you won't be left undone. He'll fix it. This is true. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. That's really common poetry poetry for the Jewish guy. It's not like he's thought of a seventh one. He's just building. There are six things. Yes, no, seven. You know, a little Shakespearean there kind of thing. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. You shall not be afraid of the destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age. As a sheaf of grain ripens in its season, behold, this we have stretched out, it is true. Hear it and know for yourself. And that's his advice. If you get right with God, basically, and you get this thing straight out, commit it to him, you can live this kind of life. This is kind of like health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine that goes through. Somebody kept asking me, what church were you talking about in St. Joe? And everybody started giving me the, well, you're talking about this church? Huh? I better, Word of Life, if I wasn't clear. Word of Life Church is what I was talking about. So don't, <laughs> be careful. Health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine, it's, it's not a good thing. Now at times I hit on the truth like any church does, but uh, last time I tuned in, like I said, I think they were listening to the Beatles, a Beatles album or something like that. Behold, we have searched out. And so if you just get right with God, you don't ever have to worry about famine. You never have to worry about war. You never have to worry about people talking behind your back. You never have to worry about the beasts of the earth or how your crops are going to do. Your dwelling, nothing will ever get ripped off from you again. Your descendants, they're not going to die and get crushed on houses anymore. You're going to live to a full old age. You won't be going through this, whatever you're going through, Job. That's not true. None of that. Believers go through these things. There's a lot of believers starving right now all over the world. There's a lot of believers being persecuted all over the world. There's a lot of people dying in Afghanistan that are believers right now. This isn't happening for them like this guy thinks it should happen for those that are believers. Some are being delivered. I think about the underground church in China and how some of the miraculous things that took place in there and how it's just growing in leaps and bounds, but they're by no means exempt from the troubles or trials of this life, they can hit. If God chooses to let them live or worship a little bit longer so that they can get the next guy saved, fine. But Stephen's a great example. That was supposed to be an example for the whole church to watch. 
Because they got the idea from the first two accounts of the apostles being imprisoned and beaten that that's all that's going to happen to them. Hey, this is great. We'll be imprisoned and they're just not be able to stand our words. We're going to walk right out of there and this is great. You know, and we got a little swagger because we're Christians. Nothing's going to touch us. Oh, Stephen got killed. You know, I'm going to read my Bible again. You know, what, what I miss kind of thing. Oh, Jesus said, if they hated me, they hated, they're going to hate you. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Well, they really persecuted Jesus and put him on a cross. Yeah, and that's why I said, take up your cross and follow me, because any day could be the day. And they got a, well, they got a good dose that they needed. Now, they got scattered because of the persecution that Paul was bringing upon the church at the time, but they also shared the gospel wherever they went. So they had a really good, healthy understanding that today may be my last day, so I'm going to tell as many people about Jesus as I can before I go home to be with him in eternity. It's a great perspective. I'm in the hospital with cancer, and it looks like I'm not going to make it out of here, but I'm alive today, and this may be the last day I'm able to have Jesus on my lips. I'm going to tell everybody I see today about Jesus. That's a good perspective. If he heals me, he heals me. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But I serve the Lord. Chapter 6. Then Job answered and said, (laughs) so he's listening to this, thanks. No, he doesn't say that, but that's basically, that's the summation of chapter 6. Thanks. Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, my calamity laid with it on the scales. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, and my spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass or the ox low over his fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome foods to me, or food to me. He's just starting off with giving God credit for the suffering. Never crosses his mind that God has allowed this to happen, and Satan is the author in their life, that they are being, that he is being touched by Satan, he immediately gives God credit. And I, I can understand that. He wasn't there for the conversation, remember? But we're reading this now to help us in our grief and in our trials and tribulations that we don't follow this example because that's not right to say, God, you've, you've pierced me with all the arrows and my soul is drinking in your poison. Now, my first question is, God, you use me however you want to use me. If this is how you want me to be used, I'm all for it, you know. That's a hard prayer to pray. But my advice is to read this and understand. We don't read and study Job because it's never going to happen to us. I mean, I hate to say it. But we are in Job right now for a reason. You're being taught Job. God has brought you to this place at this time in 2021 to hear these words from God's word, not from me necessarily, but God's word, and it's to prepare us and to prepare you. I, my prayer is that none of this ever happens to any of you, of course. And we pray that, and I pray that for myself too. Oh, God, please, no, no, do not volunteer me. And yet, I've got to remember Jesus' prayer in the garden. He had the same moment. If there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's how I have to end my prayer. God, please, please don't let anything like what's happening to Job fall upon me. Yet, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nobody expects this. But when we get taught these things, when these things come up in Scripture, I think it's important that we take it soberly. And maybe it'll never happen. But if it does, remember that he taught you beforehand to prepare you for that event, whatever it may be. While we've just started Job, I don't know how many of you have been sick, heart attacks, strokes in our fellowship. I mean, you guys are going through it right now. and We are praying for you, but it isn't necessarily because you did something wrong. It isn't because you're not right with God. It's not because of any of those things. I want to be, and I'll be careful how I say that because I don't want to assume. 
any of this stuff, but I do know this. My job, my responsibility, our responsibility for each other is to come alongside each other and say, I don't know what's going on either, man. But I'm with you and I'm praying for you. I'm on your side. I know that we're but dust. God knows that we're but dust. Be encouraged in that. He knows we're dust too. And I think as long as we stay dusty, you know, and don't get prideful or golden, crushing it while we're crushing it, you know, I think that's a good place to start, staying humble and bringing it to the Lord and committing it to God. Also, we take away from this that he doesn't like egg whites. So that heart-healthy that heart healthy platter, yeah, Job wouldn't have eaten it, neither should you. Enjoy those yolks, my friends. I mean, I had to break this up somehow with a little bit of humor here. This is like, okay, only 27 more weeks of Job, you know. Okay, spring looks good. Verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for. Verse 9 is what it is. Those of you who have suicidal tendencies, those of you who have thought about it, just going to go through it right now. And God gives you this on purpose. That it would please God to crush me. That he would loose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort. Though in anguish I would exult, he will not spare. For I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength in, or is my strength the strength of stones? Is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me? And is success driven from me? I'd rather be dead right now. And I don't think we could comprehend exactly how dark it is right now, but maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you're having those experience, those, those thoughts, that idea. You know what? I think being dead would be better right now. God's speaking to you right now. I wish you weren't feeling that. I wish you weren't going through that. And all I can do is come alongside you and say, get through this. Get through it. Don't do it. Let it pass. Get through it. I don't know what he's teaching you. I don't know what is happening. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know why you're in that pit. I don't know why you feel that despair. I'm not saying it's not justified or that you shouldn't feel it. I'm just saying get through it. On the other side of it, God has promises for us on the other side of these things. He says, first of all, we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're not supposed to fear any evil because you're with me. I'm comforted by that. He is with you in it. He doesn't take you out of it. Scripture never tells us that if you find yourself in the valley of darkness, let me know, and I'll get you on top of that mountain, lickety split. No, he says, but I'll walk through it with you. I'll walk through it with you. And if that is God's solution for my depth of despair at that point to walk through it, it's got to be enough. And that's a hard thing. You're not alone, though. Sometimes that helps, sometimes it doesn't. Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, would have rather been dead, he said. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 8, would have rather been dead. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he despaired unto death. Would have been rather been dead. It's not uncommon. Sometimes we get the idea that that moment, that darkness, that anguish is a failure or a weakness, and it can sure feel like that. I understand. But it isn't. It's a valley of death. It's the darkest place you've ever been, and God wants to walk through it with you. But on the other side of it, there is a through it. It's a through it. It's not a dead end. It's not a cul-de-sac. It's not the moment. It's not the time. Job understands when he's saying all these things that he doesn't have that right to do that, but that's how I feel about my life right now is what he's saying. And I don't blame him. I don't even have a wife that's supporting me, Job would say. I've lost all of my children. I've lost everything. I've got three, miser two, three miserable friends. And I've got a God that I'm not exactly sure 
likes me right now. I'm not exactly sure where I stand with him. He gives us Job today for you to understand there is a heavenly picture, there is a heavenly perspective, and you are going through it, yes, no doubt about it. And you may have miserable friends, and you may have lost everything, but God is doing something eternal right now. Walk through it. I say it like that, like it's easy. Just walk through it. It's not. I know. And you're like, man, I've never had that thought in my life. I've never even considered good. Praise the Lord for you. But a lot of people haven't. A lot of people have those feelings more often than they'd like to admit, you know. Um, And they don't even know why sometimes. I don't know why, but I feel heavy, lost, dark, Love, unloved, you know, they just you go through those moments. And this is when you walk by faith and you walk by God's word and you don't go by your feelings. I'm giving you good advice. You go by his word. God says he loves you. Well, then why is this happening? I don't know why this is happening to Job. Job doesn't know why this is happening to him. It's your love with an everlasting love. And there's an eternal perspective that you don't, we're not privy to. I'm not privy to. You're not either. But I know this, he's prepared a place for you. And when he comes back, he's going to take you to that place. There's no more weeping. There's no more sorrows. There's no more sickness. None of it. It's all better. It's all like it's supposed to be. We get so used to living in this environment that we think this is normal. This is not normal. This is not how it was intended. You think back on the first two chapters of the garden. That's how it's supposed to be. Walking around naked as jaybirds, just enjoying fruit and naming animals. There's an elephant. You know, that's how it's supposed to be. Walking in the cool of the day with the Lord, just talking with God face to face, no big deal. That's how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. As beautiful as the sunsets are, they're ugly compared to what they saw in Eden. As beautiful as Hawaii is, let me tell you a story about John Corson. Funniest thing I've ever heard. I mean, it's ter- I talk about these Calvary pastors. You think I'm crazy. They're crazy. He's filling in for Pastor Chuck at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I happened to be there for the Sunday morning for some reason. I don't know what I was doing in California, but there I was. And John's up there in a suit and tie, and if you know John Corson, he doesn't wear a suit and tie, he wears flip-flops and T-shirt and sits on a stool. So he's there in a suit and tie because Chuck says, no, you wear a suit and tie when you're going to teach God's words. Oh, well, wear a suit and tie. So he wears a suit and tie, and this girl comes out because sometimes they do special music. She comes out, and she's allowed to sing a song. Chuck's super gracious, and so she comes out to sing this song about Hawaii, not about the Lord. Oh, it's so beautiful. And she sings about the birds, and she thinks about all these things in Hawaii. And she gets off, and everybody's, ah, oh, this is a great song about Hawaii. John Corson comes out, he says, that was beautiful. But compared to heaven, Hawaii's a dump. Just shut her down. He was mad. We're not here to talk about Hawaii. We're not talking about the beauty of this earth. It's nothing compared to what it was supposed to be. We live in a dark, decaying world right now. We just got used to it, and we think it's pretty-ish, you know? because we don't have anything to compare it to. He says, but compared to heaven? And I think that helps us with what Job's going through and what Elijah went through and what Jonah went through and what Paul went through and what you're going through is that from my perspective, when I get into heaven, heaven is unbelievable because we've never experienced anything like it. We are with God 24 hours a day. Everything that's been... You think of all the animals that have gone extinct that we never got to see... You get to see them. They're all back. It's all restored. People that you've lost that you didn't think you were ever going to see again, there they are. And they're not, they don't have tubes. They don't, they're not crippled up. They're not blind. They don't have all those ailments that you last saw them in. They're in full vigor and health. I don't know what age that is, but it's pretty neat. There's no more crying. There's no more even the thought of, I might lose that person, or they might leave me, or that uh, that nobody likes me. Everybody's talking bad about me. None of that's up there. None of it. And I hope that helps go through the valley of darkness because in this world, it's just 
obviously just different levels of darkness. The mountaintop honestly ain't that bright. It's only a mountaintop because you're close to God, because you're the closest to heaven you've ever been. That's the beauty. That's the light in your life. Let's finish this up, and then we'll close here. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend. Even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty, my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravan of Tima, look, and the travelers of Sheba hope for them. They're disappointed because they were confident. They came there and are confused. For now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. Did I ever say, bring something to me? Or offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or deliver me from the enemy's hand? Redeem me from the hand of the oppressor? In other words, I ask you guys for anything ever. Teach me, and I'll hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I've erred. Fill me in on my sin is what he's saying. What is it that you're seeing that I'm not seeing? Let me know. Was I a bribe? I mean, you've watched my life, my character. I mean, he's not saying he's perfect, but he's kind of saying, I, I, I'm challenging you. Tell me, what I do wrong? You say I did something wrong. What is it? Or are you just guessing? How forceful are right words? But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, please, or be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede, my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? So it kind of stands up for himself a little bit there. And he goes on in chapter 7, but we won't, we won't go there. We won't go there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. You bring us scriptures when we need them. And so as daunting as that is to read Job and to think we might need it soon, we're thankful. We're thankful that you're preparing our hearts ahead of time for whatever may come our way, if not today or this week or month or year, sometime in the season of our life, we'll need this. So thank you for grounding us this morning. Thank you for establishing us on firm footing, Lord. To keep our eyes fixed upon you, to commit our ways to you, to commit our trials to you, to commit our life to you, to truly mean it when we say we want to take up our cross and follow you, to truly prepare our hearts to receive good and bad, health or sickness, prosperity or poverty, if it's from you, we take it. We gladly receive it, Lord. We're just glad we're with you. We're glad that we're your ambassadors. Help us to walk uprightly, Lord, even in the trial. Help us to walk uprightly. Bless these folks as they go. God, I pray that none of these things would fall upon any of them. That's our prayer. And yet we want to be used by you also. So then we follow up with not our will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.